0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HR Works Podcast, brought to you by HR Daily Advisor. I'm your guest host, Josh Zygmunt, Content Director for Simplify Media. The HR Works Podcast provides clear, relevant, and actionable information on topics that matter to you, the HR professional. When you're armed with the best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional service to your organization, HR just works. In today's episode, we're joined by Abby Buck, Chief People Officer at Collective Health, a fully integrated health benefit platform focused on simplifying employee healthcare. Abby has 25 years of experience in human resources and people operations and has built an accomplished career of developing employee programs that support growth and help shape company culture. She joined the team at Collective Health as their Chief People Officer in 2020, following stops in senior HR positions at companies such as Splunk, PayPal, eBay, and IBM and currently oversees collective health's operations and culture across all locations. Abby joins us today to talk about the state of employee health and wellness and how building the right health benefits plan can help set your workforce up for success. Abby, welcome to the HR Works podcast.
1: Thanks, Josh. It's a pleasure to be here. Well,
0: it's great to have you on. So to get you introduced to our audience, we'd love to just have you take us through your career path a bit and share what led you to pursuing a career in human resources
1: sure so i actually i did not start my career in human resources i started it in sales and marketing and through those experiences very early in my career i just became um very curious about how companies you know motivate and inspire a workforce and some of my curiosity came from seeing it being done well and in other cases, seeing it done poorly. And um, and so it really caused me to take a step back, um, go back to school and get my MBA, um, and then launch a career in HR starting at IBM. So it's been fun. And I spent a lot of time in uh, business partner roles, uh, both at IBM as well as at other companies. And then did a couple of zigs and zags in my career to broaden my experience set and put myself in a position to be competitive as a chief people officer ultimately. So it's been a good ride.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Thank you for sharing that. And again, those zigs and zags sometimes can teach you the most going forward about where you're really passionate and where your strengths are. And I love asking that question to start off because we always hear just such unique paths into current roles within the the human resources and people operations field. It's never one linear path. Everyone's got their own unique story.
1: Yeah, agreed. I don't. I don't think that there's one path, um, and which is wonderful because there's a lot of different ways to get there.
0: Absolutely. So, Abby, we've got you on today to look at the state of wellness in 2022. So, let's get us started there. How has the perception of wellness really changed over the past few years?
1: It's a great question. I think it really starts with the fact that companies, you know, prior to the pandemic, um, I think many of them really thought about wellness as a as a nice to have. Uh, and if I had to summarize the shift that I've seen, it's from nice to have to must have, really. And, um, you know, whether it's actually caring for employees during a very chaotic period, but also signaling and aligning what companies say is important with what they're doing to support employees, sort of that say-do ratio right. is, is really critical, right? It's also, it's been uh, a buyer's market from, from a talent perspective and employees have had a lot of individuals have had a lot of choice. And so I think these are important elements, not only to support your workforce, um, but to also convey what is important to a company and, and what you stand for.
0: Yeah, really well said. I think what's interesting with wellness is the understanding at at one point, I think a lot of us looked at wellness as something physical, uh, just Mm -hmm. physical wellness. And now the mental piece of that has become such an important component of the wellness piece. It's the total worker health. If you look at something that NIOSH really leans into, but yeah, that approach that there's the physical and mental piece is so crucial.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you've seen a lot of companies invest, including us in behavioral health and frankly, financial health as well Is I mean, you know, there are, there are a lot of dimensions to health, but I agree that that sort of the mental and behavioral health um, component has become increasingly important. And I think many of us have benefited from some sharper focus on on how to support those needs.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So help me understand, what's the importance of having a well-defined and dedicated health benefits and wellness program set up at an organization that really helps support employees?
1: Right. Right. Well, we'll go um, to a point just that we made about wellness in, in terms of it moving from nice to have to must have. And what I would say about health benefits and and wellness more broadly is that, first of all, we have been operating in such a competitive labor market that um, you know. An increasing number of employers really are thinking about how do they leverage their benefit strategy as a means to differentiate in a crowded market, right? And yeah. um, and I I think now more than ever, people are talking about that as really um, a, a feature of a of a total of an employee value proposition and a total rewards offering. I would also say that. Um, you know, benefits plays a role in terms of having a complete de strategy, right, in terms of really understanding how are you supporting different different constituencies within your workforce, whether it's, you know, working parents or those who are, you know, different generations, um, different abilities, uh, and and then just different places in someone's life where they need different types of support. So, Um, Very important to that. And then I think the other thing, and you asked, you know, that the way you phrase that, right? How does it truly support employees? And I think that that part is so critical as well. Um, You've got to understand how your benefits program is really performing, right? How is it actually doing? It's nice to have all of these things offered, but how are they being consumed and utilized? And so, you know, I think for companies and, and HR leaders, they've really got to think about um, not just necessarily, a, you know, throw everything at the kitchen sink model, but what is it that your population really needs? And then how do you curate solutions to really address those needs in, a, in an impactful way, both for the company, right? Because all of this costs money, um, but also for employees in terms of getting, um, getting the right solutions to them at the right time.
0: Right. And it's such a great opportunity for companies and organizations to stand out and really be individuals in a marketplace based on your your benefits and really assessing, okay, what does your workforce need? What's the culture of your workforce? And how do you build a benefits package that best supports those workers and your identity?
1: That's right. That's right. Exactly. And I think, um, you know, everyone should have a really clear strategy and philosophy about what it is they stand for so that, that can inform tailoring, you know, tailoring these offerings uh, to their needs.
0: Yeah, and that goes back to the point you had made about attraction and retention and how, again, the benefits can be so crucial to that. I think you've got workers now who are assessing, okay, what are our benefits and does that really give me what I need to do my best job and to bring my best self to work every day? That's obviously what we saw with the great resignation, one of many factors, but certainly a crucial piece there. And now we're seeing that as as companies and organizations are really going into 2023 looking at what they want to be, what they want to identify as, whether it's being fully on-site, hybrid, fully remote organization, or looking at it too. Again, what are our benefits offerings? Are we going to be really health conscious and put our, our people experience forward? Um, it's all things we're seeing just in a trend within the market. And certainly speaks to where it's important to, to really have that dedicated health benefits program as you're going
1: forward. That's right. And I mean you know, even in spite of a, you know, uh, an increasingly recessionary environment, right? There's still a lot of choice out there. And I think um, individuals have become more sophisticated buyers, if you will, in terms of thinking about all of these things and how they match their particular needs um, and how, um, how how they will support that individual should they join the company. And so, I think being mindful of these things, really being intentional about how you're supporting employees, how you're retaining employees, because we, we all know turnover is, it's really expensive, um, both in terms of green dollars, but also in terms of institutional knowledge lost when people walk out the door. And so these are really important levers that people can pull um, to sort of create stickiness, if you will, with their workforce.
0: One thing you said, Abby, too, that really stuck out is not just going for every single benefit, but really looking at what works for your organization. Uh, right. Obviously, benefits are costly. We're coming at, up at a point, too, at the end of twenty twenty two, as organizations are looking at, at what are the benefits plans that matter most in twenty twenty three, and they are costly. But making sure that what you invest in is worthwhile and is getting used by your organization—that's
1: right. And I mean, there are easy examples, right? That and um, you know, with with companies having been remote. Right, um, perks may have been featured heavily at many companies before, right? And and those are, um, you know, they may be rising in importance again. But for the last couple of years, they really haven't been that important because nobody's been at the office um, in terms of in-office perks. And so, you know, but but other things have that's given rise to other needs, right? And if you think about um, gosh, maybe you have a call center workforce that's in very stressful positions. How are you supporting sort of those in the moment and acute needs with respect to helping them to cope with stress, for example? Or what solutions are you putting in front of them to support um, flexibility in balancing, you know, kids who weren't at school for a period of time? All of these different needs, right. and the world really shifted under our feet, and and I think. Um, prompted many companies to um, to think more intentionally about what are our needs right now um, and be, uh, be more selective about that.
0: Now, looking at just the component of worker stress and, and stress factors and challenges facing so many of the members of the workforce, one trend we're starting to see bubble up is the idea of presenteeism. So I was hoping we could dig in a bit to that. So Abby, if you don't mind, can you start us with helping us define what presenteeism is and why it's so vital for HR leaders to be thinking about?
1: Right. So yeah, let's start with a definition of presenteeism and the one that I actually like the best all all is, uh, comes from future forum and they define it as um, you know, the pressure that employees face to meet uh, a company's behavioral expectations um, Rather than its business goals. So, you know, FaceTime being valued, for instance, can cause people to come into the office, um, and even when they're not feeling well, for instance. And so it's effectively, it's sort of going through the motions of being at work without being fully functioning. And, right. um, you know, that can be as costly uh, to a company, frankly, as attrition can be. And, um, and so, you know, that therein lies the business case for why it's important to pay attention to it, right? Because it's, it's one of those things that's sort of a subtle and almost silent killer of productivity, right? You have people who are there and, and appearing to do work, but maybe aren't as productive or engaged as they might be otherwise. And, um, and so I think it's important for not just HR leaders, business leaders to think about. Um, First of all, like, how do you assess whether that's an issue for you? Right. And, uh, you know, I'd encourage people to first look at the data. Right. You do actually have a lot of data that can get teased out on these topics. Um, Things like your engagement survey verbatims and exit surveys. Why are people leaving? What are they saying as they're choosing um, to to walk out the door? Um, And then, of course, we have, you know, an abundance of anecdotal feedback as well. Um, Not to mention, you know, um, thinking about combining that anecdotal feedback about sort of how people are perceiving the efforts they're making and whether that lines up with the quality of the results that are being delivered. Right. And these can all be signals of presenteeism. And I think it's really important to understand where burnout or poor health or any of the contributing factors to presenteeism um, are negatively impacting both their, the work, the people, right? I mean, this is a human issue um, yeah. and, and the company.
0: Well, we're, we're seeing it really come to the surface now too as organizations are starting to bring their people back in some capacity, whether right. again, it's full-time or in a hybrid environment, and as you mentioned, the core of presentism is showing up, but maybe not being there in your full self right. um, and, and some of yourself maybe is left back at home where you're just not feeling at your best level. And I think it, it's a bit of that as a mindset shift to understand, okay, look, if you're not feeling great, maybe that's the day you don't come into work, work from home and make the better decision for yourself, for your team's health. Uh, and that's certainly something that I think we're, we're waking up to.
1: Right. You know, one point I would make is I agree, presenteeism, I think people often think about it really in sort of the, the physical sense. Right. But I think even in a virtual environment or a remote environment, you can still experience presenteeism. Right. Um, if people are experiencing burnout, um, just because they're on Zoom doesn't mean they're fully yeah. functioning either. Right. And so I think um, I think um, leaders need to be sort of mindful of the uh, thinking about that holistically um but then you're right and i think the pandemic has maybe been instructive in some ways in the sense that as people have returned to the office you know we've tried to encourage not i mean we of course have policies and practices related to safety in the workplace but we've also encouraged people to just like they would for the flu or anything else right just use some common sense right if you're not feeling well do yourself the honor of staying home and do that honor to your community as well. Right. And, um, let's take care of each other. Let's, um, let's be mindful of that. There's, I think less stigma. Um, if there's any silver lining to the pandemic, maybe less stigma around, you know, staying home, taking the time to be better.
0: (laughs) Well, I think it's so interesting for any of us who were in the workplace pre 2020, We've probably all been there where maybe you didn't feel all that great you had some cold symptoms but you were good enough to go in you couldn't work from home you couldn't stay home I've got to go in I'm well enough to work and I think that mindset has changed now post 2020 where we've looked at that and you're like okay you know what today's not the day to bring to, to bring this into work I don't need to be around more people yeah. Um, yeah. and it's been really interesting to see that mindset shift.
1: I agree. And I think um, the other thing that's been really um, heartening to see, and we've done our own work on this um, at Collective Health, is to think about, gosh, you know, in some ways, presenteeism may have been exacerbated by the pandemic because the boundaries between, you know, work and other obligations and, and needs and interests really got blurred, right, as people were just, you know, sitting at their kitchen table working um, and, um, and so I, you've seen, uh, um, more and more companies really invest in different ways in yeah. time off programs, right. To allow people, whether it's, you know, quarterly days off to recharge, or, you know, we introduced a sabbatical, we introduced some dedicated time off for, um, for the entire company to take off at once so that you don't have the burden of returning from vacation to a thousand emails in your inbox. Um, And so things like that too, that also help mitigate some of that feeling of burnout and stress that, that can be also associated with, gosh, I just never let, I, I never get to park work, you know, to the side. It's always there.
0: Yeah. I love that you brought in the idea of sabbaticals. You look back and that was probably such a radical idea, a radical concept a few years ago. And you're seeing more and more companies embrace that. How was your experience with that, Abby, in terms of introducing that into the workforce? Uh, was it met with some resistance? Was that something that was easy to implement? I'm just curious.
1: Yeah. um so i I had had the good fortune of of having taken a sabbatical at a prior employer and really loved the program. Uh, I think after five years at you know even more mature companies, but for sure at startups, Um, you know, the pace is intense. And after five years, I think anyone's earned, you know, a decent amount of time off um, just to recharge and, and, uh, and take a step back for a moment. And so I was keen to implement it, understanding some of the challenges that collective health was facing. And we have a fantastic compensation committee, a fantastic leadership team, and between those factors and being able to put together what I felt was a, um, a really strong business case for why this type of program would help meet our needs. Um, we experienced great support for it and, and obviously it's been well received by employees as well. So, um, so it's been a nice ad. We just implemented it this year. And it's really, it's a thrill to see longtime collective health employees be able to take that time off and then come back and be just re-energized.
0: Right. It's that idea of really coming back recharged. And even for those listening who may not be ready to take that leap into the sabbatical program, I've even seen ideas used and implemented, such as what's called a "me day," where it's just a day where it's understood across the board that we're not meeting, and it's a day just to get through your inbox and really get yourself back to a good spot. And I I even like that, where that's an easy one to implement, where you just have to have the buy-in and understand that there's value by saying, "Okay, no meetings today."
1: That's I I completely agree, and we have some parts of our organization that do that, and um, and you've seen. Um, a lot of companies sort of embrace, let's, let's agree to these, let's do a handshake and agree to, to thinking time, right? So that people are not constantly bombarded because that's the other thing you have, you know, you have Zoom and you have email and you have Slack and you have text um, or, you know, other instant message platforms. And it's just, it's a lot coming at people. And so those things, those types of tactics can be really, really useful as well. Absolutely. Hard to have integrity around, but very useful.
0: Yeah. Uh, could not agree more. So, Abby, I know we talked about presenteeism as really a growing threat to to consider in terms of impacting employee wellness, but are there any other major threats that HR leaders should be thinking about as we go into 2023 that may challenge wellness and just the employee experience overall?
1: Yeah. I think, um, I mean, threat may, feels maybe like a, a strong word, but you know, again, we talked about a proliferation of point solutions to solve a, a bunch of really important needs, and those are fantastic. And sometimes there are so many of them that navigation can be hard, right? And that's costly for the business. It's also costly for for an employee who has an unmet need, right? And so, you know, it can be overwhelming to say, "Oh, okay, well, this isn't you know something that I'm going to use my medical plan for. This is something where I'm going to go to." Um, to a point solution vendor for whatever family forming benefits or behavioral health or what have you. And if an employee doesn't understand how to engage with those benefits, which are costly to offer, right, then, you know, the, the sort of the investment is moot. And so I think that is taking the time to really make sure that employees understand what is at their disposal and help guide them to the right solution for their need. Um, is increasingly important given that there is just there is a vast array of offerings out there.
0: Well, and especially consider the economic environment we're in too, nothing is cheap at this point. And so you really want to make the most of your investment you're making as an organization to provide those benefits, make sure they're communicated to your workforce and that they're getting used.
1: That's right. That's right. Yeah. They're only valuable if they're getting used.
0: I think that's a great takeaway going into 2023 and just a good mission to get behind for HR leadership teams is to really think about your benefits and figure out how you're communicating those to your workforce, make sure they're getting used and understand the value that you're providing. I think that's so crucial and something we can all act on. Um, So thinking about benefits. And the sabbatical plan, this this may have already even answered the question, but there may be something else on your mind. If we had to introduce maybe one new benefit into an offering uh, and create that really strong EVP, Mm -hmm. what's something you could suggest for, for our HR leaders who are listening to consider introducing into their benefits plan?
1: Well, I do. I think the time off is a is an area that's ripe for for opportunity. Uh, and I know, I mean, there are different perspectives about what is right for each individual company, and and so what is right for us isn't necessarily right for the next company. But that's, I think, that's an area to explore. I would also say that. And of course, I have the benefit of, you know, given the business that we're in, um, having a lot of insight in what, you know, what both our employees but others ask for too. And, you know, two that I would highlight, one, we've already, we've covered, but, you know, behavioral health offerings are are so important right now. And it's it's not only for, you know, longer term care, but also care in the moment. And I think behavioral health solutions have come a long way and there are, um, some really high-quality partners out there um, that can provide immense support to a workforce. So that's w- workforce and their family members, uh, to be clear. Um, the other one that I think, you know, as you're, as leaders are thinking about their overall DE&I strategy um, and, um, and, and also sort of the value that it delivers, I do think family formation benefits are so important. Um, and it's not just about um, supporting, you know, conception and birth, right? It's it's everything um, that relates to that, from pre-conception all the way through to parenting, you know, small children. And you've seen a lot of companies sort of expand their offerings in that space too. And that's another area, again, depending on the company, where I think those things are really, really meaningful for for employees and. Although it's not always obvious can actually save companies' cost in the long run to implement it in in a really thoughtful way.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's been really interesting to see again, as the, the definition of family is really uh, really being redefined and seeing companies react to that and provide benefits that support that understanding of what a what a growing family can be. Um, I think that, that's that's been great to see that's some great advice too again, as something that can be considered to implement into your benefits plan going forward into twenty twenty three. Now, Abby, looking at the other side of that, are there any benefits that we've really seen become dated over the past few years and really irrelevant that maybe HR leaders should consider throwing out?
1: Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna maybe broaden the aperture on the question a little bit. And I realize there are also very strong opinions about this. Um, um, and that not everybody will agree with this statement, but I think many people will um, uh, will resonate with the comment that you know inflexibility around where people work, in my mind, is outdated. I think the time has come to sort of fully embrace at least a hybrid working environment. Um, if the pandemic has proved anything, it's certainly proved that companies can thrive with employees working remotely. So I think, you know, not acknowledging that shift and the associated change in employee expectations would likely be a miss for nearly any employer. I mean, obviously there are some industries where that doesn't work and where, you know, if you're in a manufacturing environment or a distribution environment, clearly you need, you know, you need people in physically present. But um, but in, you know, for many companies that have knowledge workers, I think um, the time is now to really think about those about those policies. Um, and then the other thing um, that that comes with that, though, is the need for perhaps a different set of management skills um, than people have been used to flexing, right? And we've gotten a lot of practice, but I think being really intentional about, oh gosh, if I don't manage through FaceTime, how am I how am I assessing whether I've got a presenteeism issue, for instance, right? right? And you know, how do you ensure clarity? How do you ensure alignment? Do you have the right level of clear communication uh, to drive accountability um, for business outcomes, but then also to really support your employees with feedback and guidance and career development, all of which can also be at risk of suffering in a remote environment if you're not really intentional about nurturing those things. And, um, And so... You know, those things, I think, um, have been outdated. I I think a lot of companies are reassessing also sort of what are the right in-office perks, obviously, since we spend less time in the office, and how do we balance, you know, the desires for a robust in-office experience with other investments we might make that support, you know, a very distributed workforce. And so those are other things that I think are top of mind for every leader right now. Um, myself included.
0: (laughs) Yeah, those are all great. I really like the thought about people management too, that's changed so much. Uh, Just the understanding of managing teams and managing people over the last two years and really adapting to that and figuring out, okay, maybe um, having what was set, maybe quarterly check-ins, you need more than that. There needs to be more intentionality clearly now in this remote or hybrid environment and reassessing that approach I think is, is so crucial. Um, that's a really good one there, Abby. But again, all three that you that you provided, I think, are really great to think about.
1: Yeah. Um, one last point I have on that is yeah. um, in terms of you know things that have become outdated on the hiring side too, right? Every company shifted to one hundred percent remote recruiting. And right. um, and that was a huge paradigm shift, right? Uh, I mean, people used to fly candidates all over the place for final interviews to come visit offices. And um, I will tell you, it was only a month ago that I had my first in-person interview with a candidate for Collective Health. Um, and it was wonderful, but it also caused me to reflect that, gosh, I've hired everyone from C-suite to, you know, to entry-level roles during the pandemic. And I would argue that uh, the, um, the, the sort of remote nature of that interviewing process has not diminished our ability to attract great talent, um, to find and assess great talent. And so that's the other thing where I think there's been probably a permanent shift in expectations relative to recruiting practices.
0: Oh, that, that's great. I mean, yeah, think how dated that concept of flying in candidates for a final round and, and setting up a full day of interviews. now those can be that can be executed very quickly, very easily and really open up the floodgates to just your access to talent. Um, even right. if you are looking to be in a hybrid or even on-site environment, that opportunity just to interview candidates is so much easier and just so much more accessible now than it was previously. that's that's great.
1: Yeah. And it helps companies manage cost as well. Right. I mean, all of that comes with a price tag. And so, you know, companies are increasingly prudent about spending in this environment. And so I think it also, you know, I mean, there's business value as long as you're still getting great talent and you have that as a, a, you know, sort of a a cherry on top. It really is a win win for the company.
0: Yeah. You can take a chance with talent as well. Someone who may Mm -hmm. be, hey, I just want to meet this person and see if there could be a fit here. Where, again, when there was a cost associated to flying them out and putting them up in a hotel and, and all those, those added costs, you had to be really sure about who you were, you were meeting with. Now you can consider some maybe fringe, talented individuals who may be a great fit ultimately.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: That's great. So, Abby, as we're looking ahead to 2023, what's something you're excited about just in the world of human resources and people operations going forward?
1: Well, I, um, my irreverent side would um, would laugh and say that the last two years have been an amazing um, growth opportunity, and they truly have. I mean, the both the serious and the irreverent side of me, um, we've all gotten s- stretched in ways uh, maybe we never even anticipated. Um, the the one of the great things though about that is that never ever has the people function really been so in the spotlight. Um, and the impact that my team, forget about me, my the, my team has had during the last couple of years has been immense and um, it doesn't, you know, across all parts of it. Right. And um, and so it's given people teams more broadly, I think, a very unique and powerful opportunity to demonstrate and have that have that impact really seen um, in a highly visible way. And so it's sort of it's nice to see teams um, sort of getting getting the credit for hard work that is often you know maybe less seen or less appreciated. Uh, so what really excites me is just knowing the purchase that that creates um, for teams to to really further extend their impact. There's so you know I mean I've had the privilege of being a member of some fantastic teams, my current team included, and. It's, it's really lovely to see them have their, their time to shine. Yeah,
0: that, that's so great. And now is such an exciting and great time to be in the human resources and people operations field. I think you, you said that so perfectly. And I think it's something that we can certainly look forward to in 2023. Now, again, we're here with Abby Buck, Chief People Officer at Collective Health. Abby, do you have anything you want to share with our audience about what you're currently working on at Collective Health? Um, anything you feel the audience needs to know? Now's your opportunity to share a bit more about what's going on at Collective Health.
1: Well, we, I mean, we power employer health plans. And um, and so all of these things that we're talking about, whether it's, you know, making sure that your employees have very high quality support, um, as it, sometimes in cases where they're really at their most vulnerable, right? Or um, helping companies sort of manage and understand the impact of the investments that they're making. These are all things that we bring to the table and um, that we you know, delight in helping employers work on and solve. So um, so I encourage everybody to look at Collective Health. If you are a self-insured employer, um, we are a great solution.
0: That's great. And for anyone that wants to learn more, do you have a website we can recommend going to? We
1: do. Um, CollectiveHealth.com. Perfect. Um, nice and easy. You can find us. Yeah.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for sharing that, Abby. Now, you had mentioned that you'd learned so much over the last two years. Is there something you would learn that stands out particularly that has made you a stronger leader over the last two years?
1: I think as I as I said, um, both the serious and the irreverent side of me would talk about the last two years being a, a big growth opportunity and, and truly it has. And I think for me, um, it's drawn on, of course, strengths that I had. But one of the things that I have found most interesting and helpful in terms of my own development is just the need to throw out old paradigms. And, you know, the the playbooks that we've used in the past didn't necessarily apply in the last two years. Um, and so whether it's, you know, navigating the world of work or managing the great resignation or competing for talent doesn't really matter. Um, you know, we've really had to get curious and think about new ways of doing things. And um, the fact that the pandemic has been of a, a bit of a forcing function to be more intentional in many ways about some of this, um, for me, has been it's been challenging at moments, but also really fulfilling to to just have the the freedom to you know throw throw out old assumptions and almost you know just operate in the white space and, and think differently. And so it's been a period that's been really creative. Um, again, sometimes hard, but really creative. And I think that, um, that forcing function of just having to check my assumptions has been something, especially with, you know, with years of experience that get brought into things, um, that's been really powerful for me, sort of takes me back to the beginning of my career in some ways where like, gosh, I need to go figure out a problem. And I don't necessarily have the answer in my back pocket.
0: I, I love that it right it, it seems like it really forced you to reinvent in some some different aspects and think about hey there's a new way to approach this um, and push those boundaries a bit which is fantastic that's a great takeaway
1: yeah yeah now,
0: Abby do you have anything that you could share any piece of professional advice that you've leaned on throughout your career that you can share with our audience and pay it forward
1: sure thing um I've had um, a lot of really great career advice but But one thing that I would offer, and particularly when you when you join it up with this idea that the people function is having its sort of its its moment in the sun um, in order to capitalize on it. I think one of the other things for um, for those in human resources or people teams to really think about is um, is know the business, not just your domain Um, and, you know. In HR, you talk a lot about, you know, um, earning a seat at the table, right? And I, I, it's a really, in my mind, a very trite phrase. Um, and I, I get a little fatigued by it, candidly. Um, but rather than talk about it, I would say do it. And the way you do it is you know the business, right? And it doesn't matter even what role you're in, whether it's my role or, Um, You know, an entry level role on my team. I want people to understand the business that we operate in our competitors, um, how we make money, um, how we improve on the expense side, sort of the financial components of it, as well as the sort of competitive and strategic components to it, because that is ultimately what earns you a seat at the table. And um, and I think um, everybody um, should understand the business that they're operating in. And if they, if they don't, get curious about it. there are experts yeah. in the company who are more than happy to educate people on their particular, you know area of expertise. And I think, you know, when you think about building a career over the long term, that, I think, is the most important thing that you can probably do. Of course, you're going to have your functional expertise, but, You've got to understand the business that you're operating in, um, not just go through the motions of whatever it is that you do.
0: That is such great sound advice. Thank you for that, Abby. Yeah, I love that. That's something that's applicable to anyone listening is really just understand how your piece fits into the larger puzzle. I think is so crucial in any role and in any position too, even beyond just the, the H, HR and people operations field. That's it's great true. advice.
1: Yeah, because you can... I mean, that is when you partner with the business, right? When you have an opinion outside of your swim lane about something. And um, and so I encourage everybody to take some time getting out of their swim lane from time to time.
0: That is, I love that, Abby. So thank you so much for that. So before we close out, I have one last question that I ask all my guests, and it, it's all built around motivation. So when you wake up in the morning, Abby, and your feet hit the floor, what's the first thing that really gets you motivated to start your day?
1: It is the same thing that drew me to collective health. Um, whether I'm, whether it's having a positive impact on an individual um, or the company or the problem set um, that we uh, that we're tackling with, it's it's sort of that opportunity to make a difference um, and to sort of you know over time, not in any one day, but over time, sort of build a legacy of positive impact and. Um, for me, that's very galvanizing and motivating, and um, and you know gets my feet on the floor every day and gets me out the door.
0: That's great. It's a it's a great mission. So, Abby, that's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing such great insight today as well in our conversation. So again, this is Abby Buck, Chief People Officer at Collective Health. Abby, thank you so much for being a part of the HR Works podcast. I definitely want to keep our conversation going here in the future. So we look forward to having you back. But thanks again.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. Of course, pleasure's all mine. Thanks.
0: Thank you for listening to the HR Works Podcast. Be sure to check out our new episodes every Tuesday. Follow us on all major streaming platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Audible.